I want to reiterate what was said earlier in the announcements this morning with regard to the retreat, that if you want to be able to come and, and get to know brethren of the congregation, this is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. It's just one evening and the following morning by the time lunch is done, our, we're pretty much on our way back home. But it's a great, great short weekend trip. So if you have that ability, wonderful. If you don't have the ability but you do want to come, again, you're welcome to come. Uh, we'll make it work. And so go see Ben for that, and we'll make sure that you're able to have that night there. Um, that said, I want you to go back to Romans chapter 7. Imagine if all there was was Romans chapter 7 all the way to verse 24, and that's where it stopped. Look at verse 24 again. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sounds like if that's all that there was, there would be questions. And in fact, when we look at life under the sun, life is full of questions. And with questions, sometimes people begin to doubt their actual relationship with God. For instance, at any given time in your walk as a believer of Jesus Christ, has anyone here had questions or doubt about their very faith? Raise them real high. I want to see. Okay, I'm going to reverse it. How many in here, not a single iota of a doubt ever? Ever. One, two, three, four, four. And I got four and a half. <laughs> okay. So, interesting. So many of us had doubts, whether it's from a standpoint of salvation. How about instead of salvation, how about questions, like life questions? I wonder if this was the right choice I've made in service to God. Okay, flip it around. Never doubted any question I've ever had in my life in my service to God. One, two, three, four. Okay, so okay. notice the difference. And by the way, because you raise your hand doesn't make you any less or any less mature, right, of those who have raised their hand. It's just that you've had questions, you've had doubts. I mean, we're just starting a study in the book of Job. The most righteous man with integrity, guess what he had? He had doubts, he had questions. He questioned God, in fact. One more question. This is the third one. What about doctrinal beliefs? Let me ask it this way. How many of you have looked at certain teachings of, of God through the word that you believed one time this way and over the course of study, over the course of time, you changed your whole view on a given teaching of God's word? Let me reverse it. Never changed once. Not a single time. Raise your hand. One. One. Okay. It's interesting. A majority answered yes to these three questions. Now, I'm not going to ask this next. I'll ask the question, but I don't want you raising your hand. For, for some of you, some of these doubts have played so strongly on you that it's debilitating. 
right now, as I even say these words, I have a sister in Christ in my mind from when I lived in Georgia who is so meek, so humble. And she'd been in tears over years. Years. She questioned whether or not God even listened to her prayers. And in my heart, it just broke for her every single time we'd have these heart-to-heart conversations. And I mean, tears flowing from her eyes, wishing she could have that kind of assurance that God listened to her prayers. She wondered about her soul. You know, am I even good enough? These are things that were not limited to her. What I've come to learn as a child of God over, what, the last 30 years of being a Christian is that there are many like her. Some in this congregation. And so these are very serious things that we have to deal with called doubt. And sometimes it can be so very debilitating to our very walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the sermon is delivered from doubt. And the sermon is because the hope is always there. You can be delivered. That doesn't mean that you yourself and your situation will have deliverance unless some things can be done. And and that's the rub. That's the difficulty. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do this morning. And I hope that for some of you, if not all of you, that if you have that kind of doubt that that can be turned into a conviction and into assurance. So that's the hope and the goal for the lesson. And by the way, if not today, if not this hour, over your life as you walk with the Lord, because sometimes it's just not going to happen overnight, right? So, and that's not our intent. Our intent is to grow in Christ, and it may not necessarily happen very quickly. So when we're talking about salvation... There are many individuals that look at this, and this is not even true among, okay, so within the, the belief system that we have, I mean, think about this. If we go outside these walls and go to our denominational neighbors, they're going to have the same questions over this aspect of salvation, but not necessarily the same doctrinal teaching or beliefs, okay? So this works wherever we're talking. Of course, I believe that it's limited to some of the things that we'll be talking about right here, all right, and I'll give some illustration along from our denominational neighbor standpoint. All right, so when, when some in the body of Christ question about their actual salvation, like if I were to die right now, would I actually go to heaven? This is something that is, that is not hypothetical. This is a reality that I have witnessed over the years. In fact, and I brought this up maybe even a month or two ago of a brother in Christ that I knew while in Georgia. He had since... Um, is moved on but when he lived in texas he was part of a congregation whereupon um there was a church service and this brother in christ was leading the closing prayer of the service and no sooner than he says amen he literally drops dead yes you can't make this stuff up during a church service the thought among some of the brethren in the congregation was, well, at least we know he saved. He could not have had the opportunity to sin. That's the mindset some have with regard to salvation. 
And so the flip to that was, what happens, though, if you're in the car and someone drives right in front of you and you didn't like what they did and you say something that you shouldn't have said or you thought something you shouldn't have thought or you did something you should not have done and you're guilty of sin and you die in an auto accident right then. The flip side would be then he's lost. He would not have had an opportunity to repent. So these are the kinds of thoughts that run through the mind of many believers that I've spoken to over the last 30 years. Well, think about it. That's, that's an unfortunate reality to have that kind a, of a theology with regard to your salvation. And so I wrote a little bit, just a small little part of it in our church bulletin about that kind of in-out theology. It's prevalent among people of faith that we have fellowship with, by the way. It is prevalent. You may be here. You may be of that very mindset that I'm speaking of. The result of that is most unfortunate because many then have this question, well, then, if I die right now, did I really repent? Did I repent of every single thing? With regard to my salvation. That's one aspect of this doubt. Right? And so that's why you hear prayers from brethren in the pulpit. Right? Or before the church service. And God, please forgive us for our many what? Unforgiven sins or things that, you know, we haven't repented of in the past. I mean, something similar to that effect. Because we want to make sure that we've repented of everything because 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us about our need for such a repentance, right? So when, when that happens, when you're asking the question, these are people that I'm asking, do you love God? Are you wanting to serve him? And I don't know of anyone that says, you know, Mitch, actually, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to serve him. I have not met one yet that have said that to me. So everyone I ask the question to, they're like, yeah, I do want to serve him. Here's what I ask them. These are people that want to serve God, trying to serve God, not perfect at it. What have you done according to God's word that you can read in God's word that God's word teaches to be saved? You know, so Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, before he goes and ascends into heaven, it says that all authority was given to him, right? Verse 18. And he says, now go make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I will be with you, right? So he says that to his disciples before he ascends. And then what we see days later, right, on the day of Pentecost, is them actually fulfilling what Jesus said to go do, make disciples. And as they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the question is asked, what do we do with this information? Right? They're pricked in their hearts, verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. And then Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, verse 41, those who gladly received the word were baptized. These are people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, that who, who was the one that had been prophesied as the Messiah, right? had died and had been risen from the dead and that those who believe upon his name would have everlasting life. These are the people that when hearing that gospel message were pricked in their hearts 
and were willing to turn from unbelief about Jesus Christ to belief in him as the Christ, as the Messiah. Scripture says they were saved. That's what they did. You fast forward, the Apostle Paul, as he's um, on his journey in persecuting these Christians as a Jew who believed in his relationship. He had no doubt over his relationship with God. And yet, we see him being baptized into Christ upon his belief and confession, right? And that's why he recounts it in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, where he called upon the name of the Lord. And so we see that. And you go further, and there's actual teaching about baptism. Remember in, in Romans chapter 6, he says, you know, shall we sin that grace may abound? No. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not remember that as many of you who are baptized were baptized into his death? That's what he says in verse 3. Right? And so that in the same likeness of his death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, that we may walk in newness of life, he says in verse 4. And so there's, there's the teaching very abundant illustrations to show that's what people did to become children of God. You know, one of the things that I love about the scriptures, but sometimes we have difficulty transferring this mindset from Old Testament to New Testament, is when you go to the Old Testament and you look at the actual commandments, were there any doubts, any questions, like what, when, what an actual commandment was? No. You knew exactly what the Passover was, when the Passover was, how the Passover was, and why the Passover. And you can do that with many of the other commandments. It's, here's a commandment. Here's what you do. Here's when you do it. Here's how you do it, and even why you do it in many cases. Some cases is not that explicit from that way, but the commandment is still there. Here, Jesus tells his disciples, there's your imperative, right? And they go out and fulfill the command to go and make disciples. What else did they do to become a Christian? That's what they did. And so the question then is asked, well, can these people fall away? Of course. There are many people that, that we can see that have done so, but we even have record or recorded in Scripture for us those who have turned away from Jesus. But the fact that these are people who became Christians and as people who struggle through life, they don't have to struggle with understanding the simple teaching of when you're a child of God and you're walking with Him, you are saved. Now, we'll get into the other scriptures that bring out the, the back end of that concept. But when it comes to salvation, all you have to do, and, and, I, I, and I say this very simply, and I'm not trying to minimize those that have these doubts, but I want it to be crystal clear to you. You can know. Would you doubt anyone here of their salvation? Why would we have the opportunity? Why would we doubt the writers of the New Testament did not doubt the salvation of people who were saved. And so when we're looking at these things, we have to realize if they did this and they were counted by these inspired writers as being saved, then 
It's the same thing for us. There's no difference for us. We can have the same kind of assurance and conviction. And we share this very conviction with our neighbors. Now, I told you that in denominations, they don't have the same mindset that, that we have, right? Because some of them believe that this teaching about being baptized into Christ is a man-made work, okay? So aside from all the debate and what have you, many of the belief that they have is accept Jesus into your heart, correct? That's what many will teach. Some would say, just say the sinner's prayer. And so I would simply ask, do we see that in Scripture? If you see that in Scripture, I have no problem with it. That's what people did to be saved. I have no problem with that. It's no wonder that people have doubt when there are things that are not even in Scripture. And so you can have assurance when you look and test what God's Word says with what you have done. And so I beg with you, if you have that mindset of saying, well, you know, it could be all kinds of ways that you get saved. What did they do? Pretty simple, actually. And I'm not using it as a fight or to belittle the intelligence or the, the conviction of, of hearts that do not accept baptism for the remission of sins. What I am saying is, here's what Scripture shows, and when you've done the same thing, you cannot help but have the same conviction. But life is more about that. Here's the real, real question. This is where I think many of, many of us, with the convictions that we have within the body of Christ, needs to deal with this question. Because I think this is where we have more and more issues among brethren, at least my experience, my limited experience. The real question is, do we actually believe that God has the power, that he actually has the power to save us? I'm not asking it from an academic standpoint. Academically, I know of many Christians, all Christians that I'm saying, that I hear the answer, and they're like, of course God has the power. But why do you doubt your salvation then? And then inevitably what I hear is, well, it's not on God's end, it's on my part. I doubt because I don't know if I've, and then the, the thing is, here's me, all this list. I don't know if I've been faithful enough. So I ask similar questions. How faithful must you be to be saved? Do you try to serve God? Yes. Do you ask God for forgiveness when you sin? Yes. How, how faithful beyond that do you, do you have to be? Is there a certain percentage that you qualify? Is it 1%, 99%? What is it? The answer is there's no scripture that gives you a percentage. The scripture is it's God's power to save. Brethren, we've got to let that truth sink in. What we try and do is we always try to go to the caveat, and the caveat is you must be faithful unto death. Of course. The problem is we equate that with a perfect faithfulness, and we're not. We just read Romans 7 as a scripture reading that says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer is, not me. Thanks be to Jesus that with my mind I serve the law of Christ. Amen. But with the flesh, the law of sin. That's the reality of man. 
And so if we're walking in Jesus, there is no condemnation. We're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you're striving to walk according to the Spirit, that does not mean that you, you don't sin. I just asked that question when I polled about, you know, things like this last week. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. It's true. Scripture even says as much. And so if we believe that God actually has the power to save us, then let his word deliver you from doubt. I don't know how else to share God's word with regard to any brother or sister that doubts their salvation. If you're trying to walk faithfully with the Lord, then trust in the promise that God has the power to deliver you. There are those who have actually been delivered from doubt with this message that have gone from question mark to exclamation point, and I'm so grateful. There are some that continue to struggle. I pray through time, through prayer, that you get this point right here, that you can let his promise and the conviction that his arm is strong and able to deliver. All right, so that's with, with regard to initially the salvation of of your life, right? Well, sometimes it comes to decision-making. I remember about the time, uh, maybe a year or two before we moved here to Tennessee, young man, his name is Witt. And I remember Witt would struggle on an on a almost weekly basis because he'd come over to our house um, often enough. And, and, and he would have these conversations with me. He says, Mitch, I want to do this. But I also want to do that, and I don't know what's the right decision because I don't want to be unfaithful to God. I said, wait a second. Let me ask you this, Wit. I hope Wit listens to the sermon. He's come a long way. I said, Wit, if, if I chose to be a school teacher, which I was, or to preach, which I am, I said, which is the right decision? Interestingly, when it's someone else's decision, he's like, well, either one. I'm going, how is it that you can see my situation, but you can't even see your own? I said, whether he was wanting to be um, a psychologist or a lawyer, he's like, I don't know which one I should do. I said, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do the Lord's will. I said, well, then go do the Lord's will. But what do you want to do as far as your job? Well, my job, I want it to be to the Lord. Then go do it to the Lord. Go be a doctor for the Lord. Go be a lawyer for the Lord. Your choice. You know, God wants you to actually have a mind of your own and have joy with your decision. But sometimes we have doubts or these life decisions. Do we buy this house or that house? Do we rent or buy? Do we do, we do this or that? We go, do we go to Franklin or do we go to whatever city or whatever other congregation? You've got life decisions to make. And guess what? We, make, have, we have brethren that make those decisions. Can we stay at Franklin and be faithful to God? Brethren have made those choices. Some say, uh-uh. Church here is way too liberal. Uh-uh. Church is way too conservative. Go figure. 
two Christians on two opposite ends of the extreme at, that has visited at Franklin or even worshipped at Franklin at some point coming to opposite decisions, life decisions, because their lives are so important to them, they want to be faithful to God in the decision they're making. And guess what? I'm looking at the Winrose, right, visiting. Have to interview the Davis Nation, apparently. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, but seriously, when, when you stop to think about it, you guys have a decision to make. And it's important to you. Brethren, some of you who have joined us recently, you had to go through that same choice. You made the decision, right? Looking at Bill and Louise. You have to make the decision. Some, I wish I could ask the brethren that left. We don't believe this is the fit for us. We believe that we cannot be as faithful to God. Hey, listen, I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach to the best of my ability, to the glory of God, and let the chips fall. That's my life decision I've got to make. And you can accept or reject it. You have that freedom to do so. And you're going to want me to be faithful in my preaching, and so you're going to question me at times. And I thank you for it. I may disagree with you, but I thank you for the fact that you love me enough that you want to challenge me. Right? And vice versa. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, I want you to grow in Christ. And so the things that I'm teaching, I'm hoping that it will help you to grow. And this is one of those kinds of things when it comes to life decisions. And so when we're looking at this, I ask you the same question. Do you love God? And obviously, most 99.999% of the chance I'm going to hear that, I'm going to hear the word, yes, I do love God. I want to serve him. And I want to do things in a manner that befits wisdom as given in his word. Well, if you love God and you're striving to use wisdom from above, then you need to do the same thing as the first thing, the first slide. You need to trust in God's ability, in God's promise. In this case, you have to trust in God's providential care. One of the best passages that we can go to that deals with decisions on our ends, life decisions, and God's providential care is found in Proverbs chapter 16. I want you to go to the text with me. In Proverbs chapter 16, I'm just going to read a few of them. I start in verse 1, read verses 1 through 3, and then skip around. Just, you can read the whole thing when you get a chance. And now I've undone my... When I take off my glasses, I always... <laughs> I don't know how to do this real good. All right. So, Proverbs 16. The preparations of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And if that doesn't make much sense, read on. It gets more clear. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Go further on in the reading of the text. Read from uh, verse 9 and verse 33. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Verse 33, the last verse. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You know, there are times when we question our decisions, and so we, in a sense, cast lots. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Isn't that what, uh, what the apostles actually did to get their final apostle? You know, who is it going to be? Oh, let's cast lots. Sometimes we have questions. We don't know what the right answer is. 
So, Lord, here we go. We leave the decision to you. Now, fast forward thousands of years later, we might think that's kind of silly. Listen, we do something sometimes similar. And so we have to trust that whatever choice that we've made, if I decided, you know, for in my case, when I was young, it was being a lawyer or a school teacher. And my, th- my case was, this was before I was a Christian, okay, mind you. My thing is, I wanted to work with children. Well, I knew being a lawyer, I wouldn't have the time. So I went into education, special education. Well, I knew then I could work with children more often and, and be a wrestling coach and what have you. So I made that choice. As a Christian, in similar fashion, do I continue as a special educator or do I get into preaching? I believed I could be faithful to God in either way. Now, some just don't have that kind of conviction. I, I, I love that Steve says, yeah, I have that conviction. My choices I've made, I'm good with all my choices. There are people like that. There's brethren like that. And that's wonderful that we have brethren that have that assurity all along their lives. Not everyone is afforded that kind of blessing, if you will, and have question marks. But for those that have the question mark, which is most of us, consider the providence of God. That's another area of theology that we have to study on, naturally, because some of us wonder, how does God's providence work in our lives? Is it only something that worked in the first century and before the first century? Or does it still work today? I believe wholeheartedly it still works today. Otherwise, brethren, we ought to re-question why we're even praying to him. Unless we truly believe he will intercede on our prayer's behalf. And so I do believe in God's providential care. And so Proverbs 16 gives us insight into this kind of providential care that we're going to have plans in our minds. And sometimes we don't know what the, the answer is. But God will see that no matter what the answer is, he'll care for us through those decisions. I believe today I could possibly be living in Hawaii, being a high school teacher there or somehow in education system and still have been a faithful child of God. My life would look totally different than what it does right now. But I'd be happy with it. I want you to be delivered from that doubt over every nuance of every question. The fact that you love God and you trust in his providential care will see you through your decision making. By the way, that should take a a whole load of weight off your shoulders for that. Talk about stress. Unnecessary stress. You can be delivered from that. And so the real question is, do you in fact trust his providential care? And if you answer, I don't know, let's study the Bible together when it comes to providence, God's providence. And maybe you'll come away being delivered from that kind of doubt. The third one I was referring to was when it comes to doctrinal beliefs. There is something to be said for the fact of where you become a Christian, the influences of your environment. So I'm in Bedford, Ohio, right? May 28th, 1989. I remember that day so clearly. Now, mind you, I'll give you a little background. This is my mind, because I did not know who Jesus was the morning I became a Christian, before I became a Christian. I'm ready to come to church services um, by these strangers that let me stay in their house overnight. That's already an interesting thing, but I'm in a tank top, 
and shorts that were bright yellow, solid color, this low. That was my life. That's all I knew, right? That's, that's what I, how I lived. Kathy says, Mitch, hey, we're going to go worship God. Do you have anything more respectful to our almighty God? For me, it was, well, whatever, I'll just put on whatever I had, which I don't even know what I had other than jeans, maybe, and a T-shirt. So I, I, I put that on. We go and worship God. I remember that morning, having obeyed the gospel, that I wanted to do everything according to the Lord's will. What I had were two wonderful believers in the body of Christ that had from the perspective of some Christians, ultra, ultra, ultra conservative views. Women, not going to wear pants. Men, if you wear pants, make sure that, that your pants go all the way down to your ankles. That was the mindset. That's what I was raised as a young believer in Jesus Christ. And so you take that along with all the other teachings that I had been taught. Fast forward to Mitch Davis 20, 30 years later, right, or 29 years later, and I don't believe that if, if I were to not wear that pants, if I were to wear shorts, and I do wear shorts, I would still be faithful to God. But interestingly enough, you have brethren that continue to ask the question, well, then where is that line on re with regard to modesty, correct? You've got the Florida College line. I know we have Florida FC uh, campers or kids that went to school there. And you, you go down over here and it touches the ground and you're good, right? And I'm not belittling that at all. I think there's a wonderful, wonderful way. You have to have some kind of line if you're going to have the rules of camp. That's a pretty good one. Some would say, I would never send my children there. Bunch of liberals. They let their shorts go all the way up to their knees. And they're serious. Some of us here are giggling, laughing a little bit because they think, what's wrong with that? Sometimes we have belief systems and over the years they change. It does. And some of it are very, very vitally important to our conscience. And we go through this, this concept of this is what has to be faithful. So I'm, you know, I'm going to have to wear the head covering. I'm looking at Georgia, my, my sweet sister in Christ. She has a head covering. I, I don't know of anyone else in the room that has one. She's by herself great in her conviction. We go 50 miles south of here, the percentage goes up a good bit. And if we go back 20 years and 50 miles down the road, the percentage goes up a lot higher. But interesting, 20 years ago, the number has changed even in Limestone County. Brethren have changed on the, this one subject matter in the Lord. And everyone that made the decision didn't say, like, I just want to be loose with the word of God. Not one has ever said, I just want to do this. No, it's how can I be faithful to God? So you make your decision, right? And yet, 
What if the next person that did not make the same decision that you made, that you thought was the right decision, and now if everyone made the same wonderful decision that I made, we'd all be good. The reality is even in this congregation, let alone a number of our visitors from the community or from brethren from elsewhere, we could go on and just a one subject matter head covering. And I guarantee you there would be not just two different views, more than five different views, maybe 10 different views, gradations of these views. Who's right? Well, from my arrogant point of view, I'm right. If you could all just be like me, <laughs> right? Be like Mitch, or is it Mike? Never mind. So, you know, but that, isn't that the way we sometimes think? Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes like, I wish you would have my wonderful perspective on life, my view of scripture. But I've even changed on these things. So when was I right? If I've changed, was I right to begin with? When I believed you have to wear pants or else you will lose your soul? Or was it shorts over here? Or will someone whose shorts was above the kneecap still be saved? With the doctrinal belief that they have. Brethren, I'm telling you, there are brethren that believe you will lose your soul over that. Some brethren believe it because it was right there. Was it a little bit higher? I mean, and then the question is, where's the line? I don't have the answer, by the way. But I guarantee you, none of us know the answer perfectly. None of us. We might have convictions about the answer, but unless God said in 3 Timothy, thou shalt wear the, the, the cloth to the ankle bone. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be silly. I'm really trying to be serious. That's, listen, guess what I know? I'm going to be wearing my pants to the ankle bone. Or if it's a dress, if I'm a female. Or whatever the clothing, you know, the law was. But because we don't have law, we take principles, brethren. Think about this. I'm not using this as a sermon, but as a something to think about. We take principles and we codify those principles into laws. And somehow we all come up with different answers. That's a reality. It's no wonder why we have so many who doubt doctrinal beliefs. We have umpteen voices telling us this is the answer. This is the answer. And unless you had that law that you come together on the Sabbath day and you do no work on the Sabbath and you have the very explicit teachings, the interpretations are wide open in some instances. And depending on your view of how you interpret Scripture, how you use hermeneutics, did you come up with different answers? And these are just within this congregation, let alone the next congregation. Brethren, that's a reality that we have to deal with. And at some point, we're going to have to come to the conclusion that I'm going to go through the rest of my life, and whether it's at age 49 or age 89, or whatever the Lord decides to send Mitch Davis to be with him, that I will not have gained perfect answers to every single teaching under the sun within the word of God. 
I'm convinced 100%, no matter how much I study between now and my last breath, I will not have all the answers, let alone be able to live the life perfectly, let alone know it. And as surely as I feel that way about myself, I feel that way about you, by the way. That's my conviction. I feel that way about every one of you that is looking at me right now. You won't have all the answers. So how do you deal with doubt? Here's how you deal with doubt. This passage in Romans 14, again, Romans 14 gets thrown all over the the place when it comes to how you look at is this a matter of faith or is it a matter of opinion and every, but there is a principle here that has to be looked at regardless of that that mindset there's one brother that believes to be faithful to god to be right with god so i can be with him in heaven if you will i'm not going to eat meat or i will eat meat in this case one person every single day is just like the other it's a Jehovah's Witness-like mindset. Every day is the same. Not, nothing stands out differently from that standpoint. And then you have others that believe they can esteem one day as greater than another. We do that in our country, right? We have certain holidays that we esteem and we separate. And we do it religiously in some, for some families. Others, not religiously, secularly, but it's still esteemed. I mean, there's all kinds of gradations on esteeming a day. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Well, that sounds like a cop-out, Paul. Why not give us an answer, either esteem every day alike, or that we can choose to esteem one day higher than another? Why both? It's no different, brethren than someone saying they can worship here or cannot worship here. One person in his mind cannot be faithful to God by esteeming every day alike, and the other person is just the opposite. I can. What's going to happen on the day of judgment? The day of judgment, here's what will happen. All those who live faithfully to the Lord will be with him. And you're like, well, what a dumb answer, Mitch. Who's the faithful? I want to know who the faithful is. I want to know where the line is. If God wanted you to know where every single line was, he would have told you. Amen. I mean, if he really did want to know, you, I mean, if he wanted you to know that line, he would have. Because he's not wanting us to live it with a question mark and going, oh, where's that line? He wants us to struggle with that line so that we know, Lord, I just want to give my life to you. Not get close to the line without going over it, right? That's the, the argument we hear from brethren. Well, I don't want to get close to that line. I want to be as far away from that line as possible. And others that want to get close. If you are a true Christian trying to serve the Lord, you just want to be faithful to him. And so you're trying to find where in God's word can I be faithful to him in how I worship him. The way I worship him, right? When I worship him. Who I worship him with. All these questions pertain to fellowship. Here's what he said. You got those that think one way and those completely the opposite. Let them be convinced in their own mind. And if you're not, it will drive you crazy. For some people, mentally speaking, literally drive you crazy. 
That's not how God wants you to live your life. As you walk with him. Ultimately, here's what we have to do naturally. And that's why we have Bible studies here, right? In every church, we have Bible classes and what have you. And you do it at home. And we teach you to study to show yourself approved. Because all scripture is profitable for the study and for teaching and for preaching, for rebuking and so on and so forth. That's what we're told, right? Paul tells Timothy that. John says to brethren, he says, I want you to test every spirit whether they're of God. Well, you're going to be making that choice. And that's why some continue to stay here, some leave. Because you're testing whether or not, whether the elders are faithful in their eldership, whether the preacher is faithful in his preaching from the pulpit, whether brethren here stand for the truth from your vantage point, and then you continue to stay or leave. That's what happens. It happens in every single congregation. Everyone. And you have to be fully convinced in your mind. But the reality is sometimes we have questions. But if you study to the best of your ability, and we all have different abilities, but you study to the best of your ability, then you pray for God's providential guidance, the very thing that we were talking about in the previous point, Proverbs 16. You let the chips fall and let God providentially work through your decision-making. Because it is my personal conviction that brethren who have left here or brethren who have come here is doing what they believe to be the right decision for them. And what they would believe should be the right decision for others in some cases. You've got to be fully convinced. You're always going to have Christians that will come and leave every congregation. I don't care where you are at, right? It happens. That's a conviction we all have. You need to live with your decisions. We're told in Romans chapter 8, we love this passage of Scripture. We use it to motivate us and everything. But the reality of life is when we have questions and we don't know what the answers are, we've got to trust that God does work together for good to those who love the Lord. Romans 8 verse 28. And know then that whatever our decision is, because we love God and we're trying to faithfully serve Him, through all of our messy decisions, our incomplete decisions, our fallible decisions that we trust that nothing's going to separate us from God. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ, as it says in the text. Somehow I fear there are Christians that have the mindset that unless you have every single doctrine just right, you will not be saved. I truly fear that we have brethren that think this way. If that's the case, salvation belongs to you and not to God. Means you are perfectly right, and then why would you even need the blood of Jesus? Now, I know that's not fully the way many think that have that theological mindset, but it's very close. Honestly believe that leads to the downfall of so many believers. Because you're putting your trust in yourself, and you're going to fall hard. We've got to trust in the power of God that I'm a sinner. I'm guilty of sin. I hate sin, though. I want to be faithful to God, and I want to teach his word faithfully. I want to live his, his walk faithfully. But I'm going to need that grace when all is said and done. And so my doubt has to turn into trust, and that trust is in my God 
I'll do everything I can on my end. That's the be faithful unto death. Revelation 2.10. But cast your cares upon him. Cast your burdens of, of doubt upon him. And trust he is able to deliver you. That's what we have. The song that we have for invitation, you go ahead and open your song books if you're going to be doing that. If not, it's, uh, let's see, 447, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. I want you to let that sink in for a second before we sing that song. We might have things going on in our life that we wonder. Now, for those that are not wondering, for those of you that have zero care for the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. If you have no care for Jesus Christ, you will lose your soul. I stand very firm with that conviction. You are in jeopardy of dying without the blessing and grace of God. But if you're trying to serve him, there's something greater than your sin. And that's what we're singing for this invitation song. Now, interestingly enough, you have to have a conviction that this song is biblically sound. If you do believe this to be biblically sound, then let those words sink in and deliver you from any doubt that you have. You're not a child of God. Remember I was telling you how you can know because you can test God's word. That water, even though it's a not decently nice day, it would be cold if we were baptizing you outside. It's nice and warm. But let the death of your life be to you the blessing. Because that's what happens. You come in the likeness of Jesus' death and you raise to walk in newness of life just in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the picture of this baptism that was commanded of the disciples making disciples. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If you do, and you're willing to walk with him, then turn your life around. Walk with him. He saves you and will save you with that conviction. If you're pricked in your heart, then I beg you right now, be baptized into Christ. Have your sins washed away. That's what they did. That's what you can do right now. And if you're not walking with God, simple. Repent. Start walking with him through all of your flaws. We all have them. Some of us, it just shows more easily than others. But we all have them. The question is, will we continue to walk with God as faithfully as we're able do we repent when we can repent? Because he is just enabled to forgive us and to make us stand before his throne. That's the promise of God. It's right in scripture. You can read it in Romans chapter 5, by the way. You can read it in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. But he'll make you stand. So if you want the prayers of the congregation, by all means, that's what this front is for. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll cry with you if we need. But your soul is too precious to be living in doubt. Let God deliver you from that doubt. And if you're walking as someone in this world, by all means, don't linger. Come now, together we stand and sing. <laughs>